we are switching from uh, a study on righteousness and the judgment that comes with that to a study of salvation, which we began last week with the word grace. And I, said, I think I said last week we would do this word propitiation. I just want everybody to raise your hand if you've ever used the word propitiation outside of a Bible study context. I was really hoping there'd be one. What, you had your hand up? I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> propitiation is a word that has outsized significance relative to, of course, the way we use it in modern context, which is we don't. And also its use in the Bible, which is just not used that often. As I, I think about, I'm studying for these lessons, and I'm thinking about, oh yeah, propitiation, that's a big word in the Bible. But it's not. It's not a huge word in the Bible. It appears in various forms six times. Six! For the amount that we, I think about the, the amount that I use it in my teaching and, and preaching about Jesus, not very many times. Uh, and, and it's not even used as propitiation in like four of these. It's only used as propitiation like four times or three times maybe. Uh, you can see, I'm not going to read the Greek words, but the sort of three different words that are used in this way in the New Testament. Uh, in some ways, the mercy seat, we'll talk about this text later on. Uh, that's the word, the propitiation. To appease, the, the sort of the base word, to appease, to render propitious. I thought that was sort of a cop-out in regards to the dictionary. Uh, to make an atonement or expiation for, to uh, be an atoning sacrifice or a sin offering or a propitiation. That's what this word means. And it doesn't appear that often in the New Testament. We will look at every time in this sermon these words appear in the New Testament. We will not look at all the times in the Old Testament because an interesting idea about this word, this is the word that is used when the Greeks translated the Old Testament. Of course, the Old Testament written in Aramaic and Hebrew. You're a Greek person. You don't, you don't speak Aramaic and Hebrew. This was translated, of course, into the Greek language at the time, the Old Testament. And these were the words, these three variations of words that were most often used for Atonement, as in the Day of Atonement, the atoning sacrifice in the Old Testament. Uh, mercy and forgiveness. Also, they translated using these words when God is showing mercy and forgiveness to his people. So these words are not as prevalent in the New Testament, although they are used a lot in the Old Testament. And so we'll look at every way this word is talked about in the New Testament. John uses the word twice in the way that we most typically think of this word, propitiation. What does that mean? Well, John uses it the way that we think about it, probably. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. I, I want to make a note here. Two generations. I give it two generations. This word's going to be gone. Totally gone. 100%. Completely gone. Propitiation. Because we don't use it that much. And, and uh, some translations have started not using the word propitiation, right? Because it's important that we use words that people understand. He is the appeasement, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. He uses it later in 1 John 4. Oops, I went too far. Go back. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, so we ought to love one another. So we think about this word, okay, propitiation. What does this mean? John's using it. And we can see in the context what he's saying, right? It's connected to Christ's advocacy for us. It's connected to our uh, uh, the way that God 
God absolves us of our sins. It's connected to his love for us. And it is, in we think about the chain of the things that we've talked about, the word propitiation, the idea of propitiation, is the next step in the sequence that begins with holiness. And the words that we've looked at in this chain, God is holy, he is righteous, we have sin, therefore there's wrath. Those things go together, right? We have, we have wrath because our sin violates his righteousness and holiness. And the word we looked at last week, God doesn't want it to end with wrath, so he offers us grace. The grace of God, the gracious nature of God, compels him to offer us some way to avoid the wrath. And so if grace is the motivation, let's say grace is the motivation for God to offer us salvation. He is offering it to us because he loves us and he is gracious toward us. The mechanics, the methodology is propitiation. I'll, re re I'll say that again. Grace is the motivation behind salvation. Propitiation is the mechanics of salvation. The way that it is accomplished. His gracious nature compels him to offer us salvation. But how is that accomplished? It is accomplished through propitiation. This word that we were talking about. I've said it so many times it sounds fake now. The grace of God manifested in Jesus appeasing. This word appeasing we're going to highlight quite a bit today. At the base level, propitiation is an appeasement. Appeasing what? The wrath of God for us. He made atonement for, we could use the word atonement instead. He made atonement for my sin. And in a technical sense, the word is has sort of this outsized importance because there's two competing ideas here, right? We have God's loving grace and God's righteous wrath, both parts of his personality, both integral parts of his nature. How can they coexist? How can God be gracious and loving and also righteous and wrathful? How can they both be? They can both be, because of this word, propitiation. This is the, the answer to that question. Romans 3.21 But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We've read this verse several times recently. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the sin and that leads to wrath, right? and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we've talked about this briefly. The word righteousness and the word justified, same word, right? To be justified is to be declared or to be made righteous. We all have fallen short of that standard. And we deserve then what? Wrath. The grace of God here, we are justified, declared righteous as a gift. How? I can be declared righteous even though I am not righteous because Christ appeases that standard for me. Christ takes the place of my wrath that should be on me and by his blood, I do not have to face that judgment. So God's wrath is appeased, his justice is appeased while also simultaneously providing for me a righteousness that I do not deserve. 
A righteousness, the justification by grace. What does that mean by grace? Because I do not deserve it. It is because he has put forward Christ as the appeasing, atoning sacrifice. Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, we are the children. He himself, that is Christ, part, uh, likewise partook of the same things, that is he became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Why am I afraid of death? Because of wrath. Because of judgment. If there were no wrath and judgment, death is not necessarily something to be feared. If I'm thinking about things from his perspective, what does Paul say? To live as Christ, to die is gain. The fear of death comes through fear of judgment. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A couple of things here that we see. What makes Christ able to appease my sin? Or to appease the wrath of God because of my sin? Because he has partook of my nature. He became like me and partook of all the things that I partake in, the flesh and blood and the temptation, all the different things, and yet he did it perfectly. And thus he takes my sin. He is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. So to wrap, sort of wrap some of this up, outside the religious context, the word might more accurately be translated appeasement. He put forward Christ as an appeasement. What is being appeased? As we've said, the wrath of God. Why did it need to be appeased? Because he is righteous. And, and this is sort of the question. Oh, who said it? I think maybe it was uh, John. He talked about it. John Stacy. The question obviously becomes, why can't God just forgive us? Right? Why does God have to punish the wicked? Why can't God just... Be like, okay, don't worry about it anymore. If he's so loving, if he's so gracious, why can't he just hand wave it away? Because that's not who he is. And all of this eventually comes down to and boils down to God's nature as a holy and righteous being. He can't just let it go. That would be unjust. That would be unrighteous. That would be against his very core of his being. And so why did the wrath of God need to be appeased? Because of who he is. And what makes Jesus then able to appease that wrath? Of course, if he had sinned, he wouldn't be able to appease God's wrath toward us because he'd have his own wrath. Right? The appeasing, the, the propitiation comes because he was like me and yet sinless. And so he takes an unfair, unrighteous, unjust punishment for my sake. Similarly, if he hadn't died, he wouldn't have peased anything. Okay, he can live a holy life, could have lived forever, presumably, but he chose to die. Why, what somebody, uh, Ron said, or maybe it was uh, Don in his prayer, actually, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The appeasement comes because he took the punishment. His holiness and righteousness demands wrath, and so that wrath was poured out on Jesus instead of us. This is simultaneously the sacrifice of Jesus, an act of justice and an act of mercy. Justice in the satisfaction of wrath. Mercy 
than the one who satisfied it. Because it wasn't me. I didn't have to satisfy the wrath. Jesus did it for me. Hebrews 9, 1 through 5, the last instance of this word. We've read all the rest of these. Now, even in the first covenant, it had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section. This is all talking about the Old Testament stuff, right? Uh, we'll skip down a bit. Having the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and arid staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. All these things. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. The word mercy seat is the same word, same root, propitiation. The place of propitiation. Of course, that's in the Old Testament. And yet we come to the same idea in our context. Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now it's not the same word. And yet we see the same idea, right? The place of propitiation. The place where appeasement has been made, the place where the atoning sacrifice has been, let us with confidence draw near. How do I draw near with confidence? Because Jesus took wrath from me. So I approach God not in fear of wrath and judgment. I approach God in confidence because I've received the mercy and the grace of Jesus that I may receive mercy and, gra uh, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word grace would remind us what? I don't deserve that grace. I don't deserve that mercy. I don't deserve propitiation. But the fact is that it happened. Jesus died for you. Regardless of how you respond, he did it anyway. He did it because he loves you. He did it because God loves you. Because he is gracious. And we have two possible responses. One is, in Luke 18, we see these two responses. Luke 18, 10 through 14, the last use of this word. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, and I don't know why I always assume he's British. Why do I always assume that arrogant people are British? I don't know. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Oh, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that horrible person. I'm pointing at Keith. I don't mean Keith, but you're the guy over there. I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Thank you so much. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful. This is the same word. Appease. Your wrath on my behalf. Make atoning sacrifice for me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we offer the invitation, Jesus offered a sacrifice to you, for you, I should say, offered a sacrifice for you, and you have two responses. Today, in this room, you either think, oh, I'm so awesome, I'm so great, how awesome am I? I don't need Jesus at all, or maybe I don't even believe in Jesus. That's a separate question, of course. You will not leave this room justified. 
Or you can respond as the tax collector. Recognize that you need mercy because you deserve wrath. And be thankful that God offered that mercy in the propitiation of Jesus.